You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing, you're doing very well. The guest that you're about to hear from is easily one of my favourite interview subjects ever. His name is Carl Willits. He was the frontman and bolt thrower, currently the frontman in Memoriam. They have released a new album. If I was more organised, I'd be able to tell you what it's called, but we do actually talk about the name of the album through the discussion. Let's cut to the chat. Let's hear what Carl has to say. Cool, mate. All right, look, I'll kick things off because, um, yep. look, I've got some great questions um, to ask you about the world around Good. us. But first, mm. let's chat about the new album, The Silent Vigil. So for the second time in 12 months, I'm reviewing an excellent album from The Collective. What I need to ask you, mate, is where is this wellspring of creativity coming from? And I'm, I'm just so glad that you guys get a chance to bottle it on two fabulous albums. And, you know, but they're two albums that are very different from one another. Yes, indeed. Well noted, my friend. Very good. Um, yeah, a great place to start uh, is, is, is the fact that we are uh, in a, a very, we're on fire creatively really in many respects you know i think that really stems from the fact that um you know for quite a few years now my creative output has been kind of somewhat stifled you know with with my previous band i was in we got to the point really where we weren't writing any new material and uh, we weren't going to be putting out another album we were just you know, playing the old classics, which was brilliant, and I had a great time doing it, and, and you know, I never decry that. I'll put it down. But you know, for for me, the whole whole essence of being in a band, whatever level you are at, uh, is the creative part of it. You know, being in a studio and writing songs, and for me as a lyricist, that's the fun, the part that I find uh, the most exciting part is that that's that creative. Area which which I really really missed and so um, you know when when we first started out we were I discussed this with you last year the fact that uh, Scott came along with this heap of of um, this gold mine of of vault full of of exciting new riffs um, some in the vein of what we were used to um, writing to some completely new um, sounding kind of riffs because he comes from a different kind of sphere of influence. As, as we do he's 10 years younger so his sphere what he listens to is very different to to what we came from so, so that i think that's what kind of like really works well with us and, and kind of uh, we bounce ideas off each other and you know we use te- technology you know to kind of get the songs written at a really fast pace and um you know a constant stream of, of scott firing riffs at us and songs that he's written at home in his studio um, which he fires to us by email. We have a listen to the MP3 of it. We, we pick out the bits we like. Frank restructures it. Uh, Whale puts his drums. I put my vocals. And we've got a song. You know, it's a really, really quick process. And I think what we are doing is what we're trying to do is to recreate that essence, that, that feeling that we had when we first started out, that kind of like that creative period when a band first starts out. You know, you, you do tend to release album after album after album. You know, in, in the mid '80s, we were very prolific in our uh, you know album releases of virtually every year or every other year. So, so um, yeah, we kind of going for that old course feel. And what we're trying to do is we, we, we're not really dwelling too much on what we're doing. We've we've have got um, a complete open blank canvas. We aren't held back by the formulas or restrictions of any previous bands that we were in, you know. So we have got a kind of, we can try anything we want, you know, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But we don't worry too much about it. We just enjoy doing it. And once it's done, 
it's done. And we move on to the next one. And we move on to the next one. And we move on to the next one. And that's why we're writing at such a, uh, an alarmingly fast pace and really enjoying that process. It's, uh, it's been a sheer joy to be able to do that. And, you know, and at, at this point, this particular point as well, we are currently in the process of um, writing new material for uh, the next album as well. In fact, the lads, as we speak, are in the studio uh, jamming out some new tracks I decided to give my throat uh, a bit of a rest tonight, and plus the fact, you know, I'm not particularly needed at this stage. So, yeah, they're in the studio, as we speak, uh, working on two or three new songs that we got together in preparation for the, the next album, which we intend to, you know, more than likely release at some point next year as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great place to be, and we're very privileged to be able to do that. Look, that's music to my ears, but you mentioned... <laughs> A moment ago, you mentioned uh, Scotty Fairfax. Now, look, he's in fine form. So there's, you know, Robert Vigner from, um, is it Emoliation, I think? And uh, Trey from, of course, Morbid Angel. But, God, Scotty's right up there, mate. And if he isn't one of the preeminent death metal guitarists in 2018, show me who is. So did his, contrib- oh, yeah, yeah. Did his contribution yeah. change from For the Fallen to Vigil? Yes, absolutely. I, th- I think, um, as you pointed out as first they're, they're very different beasts very different animals the two albums are in many respects i think they are both a document of the time a snapshot of where we were at at, at our trajectory our you know fast rocket pace trajectory through the uh through this new thing we're experiencing uh this new journey we're on and you know the first album for the fallen which was great you know for a debut for us it really reflected how we were as a band at that point. You know, at that point, I think we were very much still um, in the, within the shadows and, and held by, in many respects, by the invisible chains of of our previous existence. You know, so that we were aware to a certain extent of the expectation uh, that was kind of placed upon us. And you know, I don't particularly think think we worried about it too much, but we were aware of it, and it did kind of affect the way we wrote songs um and we were we were dipping into um scott's vault very much so for that first album uh some of the some songs that he'd written maybe two or three or four years ago and never had seen the light of day so um and it was a great album yeah it's for for me um lyrically wise it was about um you know, a cathartic exercise to express my feelings of grief and sorrow uh, following the death of Martin and, and, and also of, um, of Frank's death. So the, uh, that album, lyrically-wise, uh, was very much inspired by the emotions that we felt at that time, uh, which was the initial phase of, of the mourning process, the, uh, the, the loss, the grief, the sorrow. It was very much part of the lyrical content. And the songs, the musically-wise, were drawn from... Um, yeah, the 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 million dollar vault of of uh, the gold mine of uh, of Scott's um, historical kind of um, yeah history of writing stuff. Now the next, I think really what we've done we've grown in confidence over the year. Uh, we've grown yeah, we've grown to know each other uh, musically a lot closer as well. And Scott, instead of just drawing from his vault, which he still does, he's still got some great stuff in there, but he is actually writing as we go along now as well. So a lot of this, the uh, the riffs that feature on the new album are ones that are yeah, current that he's written over the past year. So musically-wise, I think think that the, the um, we've got beyond 
the expectations. We've set the set our standard down on the first album, and then we've moved on with the second album. And musically, I think it's a lot more diverse. There's a lot more going on in this um, new album. I think it's a lot more dynamic in that respect. Yeah, and agrees, also, yeah. we are very aware of um, some of the limitations we have as, as a four-piece. You know, some of the songs. For example, one of the songs on the last album, my favourite song, uh, Last Words, we, we, we can't recreate that very well as a four-piece playing live. And so if we didn't want to go down that avenue, so all the songs that we've recorded on this new album, we can reproduce in the live environment. We were very much aware of that in the songwriting process. Um, they feel a lot more organic in, their, in the way they've developed. Um, one of the criticisms that well, our little our little criticism of the first one was that it's the sound was a little bit condensed, a bit compressed, and maybe slightly digitalized in many respects because the studio we used um, used like digital add-ons, and it was a very you know digital kind of studio that we were in. Now the new one, the Rich Beach Studio, we went to um, for to do this, the silent vigil. We used you know, actual amps, real amps that make pops and bangs and scratches. And and I think that's, we've left all that on the album, even you know, the, 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 the noise of the strings and things like that. We've, we've left that kind of like live kind of um, noise background in, in it, which gives it a different edge as well completely, I think. And um, so musically, it's moved on in, in that respect that it's us now as we stand as a band. And, uh, you know, I think it's a big difference. That's the major difference between the albums. And also, you know, from my perspective, lyrically, which is where I, I come in, is is the um, the songs. Uh, you know, I've kind of written lyrics for you know, 30 years or so, and they've always had a major, you know, that's what I'm known for, is writing songs which are predominantly about war. And we think we've kind of generally kind of moving away from that kind of theme. You know, it's, And it's really, for me, quite refreshing to be able to do that at this point in my life I, I really think that there comes a point where where the last album you know for the fallen there was a large percentage of you know songs are about war war rages on you know you can't get more about war than that but you know there's also the double meanings of, of what it's about you know the fact that life continues you know, beyond bad experience and things like that so that that was a large element and, and there was a couple of songs on the last album um, that had, you know, a little bit of social, political, political kind of um, content in them. And um, with this new album, The Silent Vigil, I've kind of moved further down that track. You know, I think you could have said almost that there was 80, 80% war, 20% social comment. Now that it's flipped completely with the new album, I think okay. there's more songs on the uh, the new album that have got completely um, social, political um, slant to them, you know, and... and and rightly so. I think that comes with age in many respects, with confidence in writing my, yeah, in, in, in my ability to write songs about things that matter to me, that have some kind of real meaning to me in my life as it is now. It's great writing about war, but, you know, I've never been involved in a war. I've never been in the military. So it, the, the actual, I'm writing about things that I've never had any really direct experience of. And I think really at this point, it, it's it's my role as um, as an artist, as a, as a musician, to make comment about the things in the world that I think 
on right. So there's you know there's two or three songs that jump out specifically on the new album, which are have a very overt political theme. There's Bleed the Same, which we've released the video single for. There's the new the new Dark Ages, um, which is probably my favourite song on the um, on the album, which is you know very overtly anti-fascist in its in its content. And um, there's Weaponized Fear, which is the closing track on the album, which is all about the way that the media manipulates people to think in certain ways. So those three stand out as quite, you know, prominently uh, politically based um, songs. But there's also other songs on there which are, are have got you know a reflective. Um, personal meaning as well as a song uh, nothing remains which is about dementia um and that's affected me because my mother has experienced that over the past year and the impact of that has had you know a massive effect on me and my family and, and everyone around us and uh, so and also there's a couple of songs i'm thinking of you know from the flames and um as Bridges Burns, which are all about songs of change, about moving forward, about transition, which is quite reflective as how we are as individuals in our lives and as the, how the band is as well. So I've drawn very much so on personal experience of the world that we live in and, and it, I find that they're a lot more reflective. And for me, that's a real rewarding aspect of being able to do a um, memorial, to be able to to write about things that um, that affect me, and I think it's important. So I'm really enjoying that experience. It's, it's completely new to me, and yeah, in a certain ex- certain extent, I'm working outside of my comfort zone. I haven't really written uh, in this way before, and I'm finding the whole prospect of it doing it. Um, you know, really fascinating and a really exciting um, process in doing it, and very rewarding in many respects. And what about the what about the production and mixing? Because I do like the production and mixing on both albums. So I think you used Ajit Gill on for the Fallen. So did he also look after things on the Vigil album? No, I mean Ajit is an absolutely beautiful bloke, absolutely fantastic. Runs his own studio. Um, but we were trying to go for something different on, on the uh, on the second album. Yeah, so there's certain elements we weren't entirely pleased with, and it was yeah, he lives probably about an hour away from we, so it was a bit of a, a bit of a more like try, driving up there and back every uh, every evening, and, or after two or three days session. So we decided to use a studio in Birmingham, which is just down the road from where we live, um, a studio called Rich Bitch Studios. We're all about old school death metal. We're all about getting in touch with um, the past yeah, yeah kind of, and trying to make sense of the present by recreating things from the past and, and rich speech has got like a, a strong kind of heritage role within what we've done we 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 remember um well i remember um rich speech because that's where bolt thrower recorded their first two demos back in the you know the mid 80s and that's where the band rehearsed quite a lot when when we first started out when i first joined them we, we rehearsed down there quite regularly and um the, the actual that actual studio closed down but it's relocated to a different position within birmingham it's a geographic location in but still remains in birmingham and all the people that work there you know the producers the engineers the the guy that runs it rob bruce um, they're all the same people. So they've got the same ethos and the same feel to it. So we thought we'd, we'd try um, and use that studio to kind of like get, it makes sense. It makes sense, you know, of, of what we're trying to do. It fits in with what the whole kind of, it's another piece in the jigsaw in, in many respects. So, yeah, we, we used that studio. We used um, 
the guys there, John Dewsbury, who's a, a very well-known um, producer within that genre. He's produced, you know, Sabbath back in the day and a lot of the Birmingham bands that have come through. So um, we were very comfortable to use him as, as a, an engineer behind the desk. But the production on, on both occasions really uh, is down to Scott. Yeah, that's that's his okay, gotcha. baby. That's what he loves to do. He's got his own a home studio. Um, hey, in many respects, some of the demos he comes up with sounds sometimes sound better than the actual album. To be brutally <laughs> honest, um, I mean, we should possibly use his studio next time. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's a good way to go. But, um, Cheaper, but yeah. I mean, he's, he's got a real good ear for what he's doing. He knows what he wants and he's very disciplined in his approach to when he's he's uh, working on on the on the music and he's prepared you know, to, to put 12 hours a day in a studio and, and listen to sections over and over again until it's right and get the right tones and, and textures. Now, that aspect of recording does not appeal to me one iota. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like to go in there, do my bit and get, get the hell out yeah. of there, you know. Uh, but, yeah, that, this is what Scott, where Scott comes into the equation. It, that's one good, great thing about... Um, memoriam we've all got our own specific designated roles within the band to in many respects you know for example um you know whale is very much involved in the social media aspect of what it is he runs all our facebook promotion and things like that which is you know which is great um uh frank generally tends to deal with all the um the the artist liaison with the label side of things he's got a good relationship with the guys at nuclear blast and um, also kind of gets involved with the booking side of things as well so he, that's his that's little his little baby and my my you know strong point my baby is really doing the merchandise that's that's where i enjoy doing so i run the merchandising side of things i, I do the, the website and i do the the twitter feed so that's that's what and i do most of the interviews uh, and um you know, well, we share the interviews out between us in many respects. So we've all, and then Scott's thing, what he really likes to do is the production and the music thing. And we just leave that to him. And he's really good at it and he really enjoys doing it. And so it's really good to have these clear, defined roles. And we all pull together quite well through doing that. Yeah. Okay. Time to let the shit hit the fan. Okay. Because when we had last had a chat, Blabbermouth ran an article about our conversation. So the, Ooh, did they really? I didn't think. I, I don't think I noticed that. <laughs> well, there you go, there you go. I don't. I don't. To be perfectly honest, I don't tend to bother reading blabbermouth because, you know, the responses you usually get off on, on it are terrible. Um, yeah, full of fucking idiots usually. So um, yeah, people that haven't really got anything better to do with their lives than make negative comments about things. Same with YouTube. I don't really tend to bother no, reading comments because. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. But uh, yes, also it caused a bit of a shitstorm, then did it? Caused a bit of a shitstorm, and you made some very good points at the time about Brexit and Trump because that was fresh in on the social scene. That was that they were the two most prominent issues globally that were on the menu or, or of the agenda of current affairs. And and you're right. Look, the keyboard warriors did come out uh, in force, and I must say I was tempted to contact you and ask if I should pull the article that was referred to in the blabbermouth post. As some of these comments by these bloody idiot keyboard warriors were just vicious, and I'm always conscious of the fact that you know. Artists have kids and you've got regular lives and the like, and there's comments made by these morons that really don't have any insight into who you are as a person. It annoys me, mate, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, I think as a, as a, as an artist, you kind of tend to, um, uh, yeah, rise above that, all that bullshit because, you know, you, you, at the end of the day, 
my opinions uh, are my opinions and um yeah i don't really give a fuck what other people think uh, at the end of the day I, i'm doing this for me it, it keeps me happy if people like it great if they don't well they can just fuck off you know what yeah. i mean <laughs> no agreed and you know what i love about you though you know you, you're exactly what people don't really want to hear hello hello can you hear me hello mate can you hear me yeah, you cut out a little bit. Yeah, just, I don't know, it must be. Yeah, yeah you cut out there a little bit. I, mean, I lost, lost what you just said. Oh, yeah. I'll start. Okay, you're back. You're back. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. Yeah, there's just, there's just a lot of people that have got, have got very sad and lonely lives and, and um, you know, need the need to feel empowered by writing something, you know, and getting a response to make them. And in control of their sad lives. And you know that's fair play. That keeps them happy. Yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah, I know that um, that I'm okay. I know that uh, I've probably achieved a lot more in my life than those people Absolutely. will ever wish to dream yeah. of doing. So it doesn't, you know, bother me one thing. Uh, what, what they say, as I say, I don't generally tend to bother reading it anyhow. <laughs> well, well, what I love about you, mate, is you, you're giving people what they don't really want to hear, and that's this. You're an educated and an articulate death metal icon sharing your thoughts on people and events, you know, and bugger them yeah. if they want to argue with you. And it's going to be a one-sided argument, of course, because they're arguing into an echo chamber, you know, both people like you and I. Absolutely. Better Absolutely. The echo chamber is screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I've used that in one of the songs. Awesome. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's it's in weaponized fear. I think that that that, that uh, yeah that that line is the echo chamber screaming. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah it's it's a funny game, and that's the, that's the um, the one negative side of of social media and this yeah, media world we live in is that it does empower these idiots to uh, to make a, a comment which may not may or not be you know valid, but. Yeah, on the other side, you know, there's, there's a, you get a lot of support as well. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that do understand, you know, and do agree with with what I'm saying. And um, you know, if it makes them feel more valid and it kind of backs up their opinions and uh, makes them feel that they are right in their own life choices, then then that's a good thing. Mm, no, indeed. So, look, what I want to do now is I want to ask you about some prominent people and also events that are prominent on the landscape in 2018. So the first person that I would like to hear your thoughts on is about Jeremy Corbyn. Yes, I particularly like Jeremy Corbyn. I'm not a big fan of politicians in any way or shape or form, to be perfectly honest. However, Jeremy Corbyn is a man that I would consider to be quite a man of principle. You know, he comes from the right place. I don't agree with with you know, his stand on certain issues. I definitely don't agree with his stand on 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 Brexit. You know, the Labour Party's want to leave Europe. I don't agree with that. Sort of that. But as a politician, as an individual, I, I do respect him. And um, as if I was to kind of cast the net and try and choose anybody that I feel would represent uh, the, the kind of the needs of the real people. Um, the working people in the UK, um, it would be him. You know, he would be the ideal candidate to be um, in charge of this country. He's, he's the one person that I would put my trust in to to move our country in the right direction. You know, as I say, I don't particularly agree with all of the uh, policies. Um, however, you know, 
he's the best of a bad bunch in my in, in my yeah. opinion. You know, definitely. I might as well go here on this one then. Theresa May, I can probably imagine what your perspective is going to be on her performance. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts? Was it <laughs> strong and stable? Strong and stable. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, they're just the right wing um, puppets that just lurch from one weak kind of character to another you know she's just they've, they've almost put her in power to be well no one's bloody well voted for her do they yeah. and she's kind of like stumbled into the role um you know and and i think she's out of a depth to be perfectly honest she doesn't look like she knows what she's doing she's she hasn't got the backing of a party she hasn't got the backing of uh yeah the majority she lost the majority in the last election over here which is a big you know, massive sign a massive negative uh, stroke for her uh, and yeah i i just think you know maybe she's been put in that position because they, they thought she might be a another strong female character like margaret thatcher was back in the 80s and to galvanize and unify our country and lead us into another war with the argentines ha ha uh i don't know <laughs> you know it's just uh it's just crazy the whole political system over here is just inherently corrupt, corrupt and, and I just don't understand how other characters that, that, that I don't know if you're going to lead onto these ones but you've got these crazy kind of characters like Boris Johnson and, and you know that are kind of like all bouncing around in the media and, and, and you know it sells papers I suppose you know these, these kind of like yeah, that's what is, characters yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah absolutely yeah. you know then they kind of it all circulates it, and they all back each other up and they all, it ultimately maintains the status quo and, and keeps us all in our place um, but yeah if, if I was to kind of um, stick, put my neck on the line I, I, I would like to see um, you know a Labour government in charge with someone someone like um, Corbyn or at least someone that's kind of got a uh, an eye on the ball for what matters and um, yeah, thinking about the, the people that need the most help, yeah, the, the, the beast disenfranchised, the most vulnerable people in society, which um, which need the most help. And, and the Tories have always been uh, about taking care of the, their own and making sure that those have got the money retain the money and those in power retain the power. And they all seem to be you know, patting each other on the back and giving each other knighthoods and things like that. And, um, yeah, you know, the status quo remains the same. All right. So we're going to go across the Atlantic. And what are your thoughts on Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders? Hmm. Interesting character. Um, is he around still? Oh, you don't really hear much about Bernie Sanders these days. So. Is he still alive? He's still around. <laughs> I, I, look, I heard he's, he's going to... still around. I, look, I, I think I was listening to Joe Rogan or somebody, and somebody on there that knows a little bit more than I do about American politics is saying that he'd prob he's probably going to make a run in 2021. Is that when the next US election will go? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you know... Um, he was the he was the it was a choice between him and Trump, wasn't it? At the end, well, no, obviously it was Hillary, wasn't it? But uh, but he would have been a better option, yeah, back hand. Well, I think he would have really. beaten um, Trump. But I think that's the interesting yeah. thing is if he'd yeah. beaten Hillary, yeah. he would have beaten Trump. Yeah, I think he had the will of the people on the only side. And um, yeah, I can't really make too much comment on on American politics because we don't really get to hear much about it over here. We're so consumed with our own political system. The only you know real kind of like character that kind of makes the news over here. Um, is yeah, politically wise, is the is the yeah the the orange wig wearing nutter that's in control of the button, you know. So we hear a lot about him, uh, but the other kind of like um, you know major politicians, we don't seem to hear about that that much in this country, you know. So um, yeah, it's a strange strange political structure they've got over there, which um, 
I think I had a, 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 a interview with an American magazine the other week, and I think I got down to the concept of the Americans need to change the whole basis of their constitution if they're going to seek to make any change within the, within the country. Cause you know, you just say again, self-fulfilling prophecy and uh, it's, it just doesn't work. Um, but yeah, yeah. Bernie Stanley, yeah, he would have been the man, I think, but um, yeah, who knows what the future holds. eh? That's very bizarre. I think I, I liken the American political system a bit like the EPL or our national rugby league competition out here. And that both, the Republicans and the Democrats, they're part of the same competition, if that makes sense. So whilst they might be yeah. wearing different colours, they're actually part of the same competition and they actually both support each other and need each other to survive. This, I think that applies to every political system, politics per se, throughout throughout the world. You know, mm. They all exist within the same political vacuum and, um, you know, kind of... <laughs> they, maintain, they maintain each other's, you know, authority, really, by... by um, not providing any alternatives, you know. So uh, yeah, but that's the way it is. That's that's the way we our, our society is in this modern Western democracy. Mm. <laughs> so so a bit of a different question now. Okay, we're going to go down to South Africa. So what are your thoughts Ooh. on the the South African Parliament voting to confiscate land from white farmers? Yeah, it's a difficult one. Difficult one. Yeah, it's a historical kind of. Um, content to that isn't that that's been going on for a fair few years now hasn't it that, that whole kind of land grabbing kind of um facade yeah um yes hard to make comment on that one without actually being i have very little little kind of involvement in the south african system but you know you can understand you know kind of to the historical aspect of you know land being taken away from the indigenous people I suppose that rings true with a lot of nations in many respects and then wanting to reclaim their uh, their land back. But, um, you know, you hear the ways that it's done, you know, it's, it's, it's done in a, you know, almost quite a vicious, um, vicious manner. But, you know, it, it's a very, very, very difficult one for me to make any comment on because uh, the historical aspect of it is, is always one thing, but the actual social impact that it has on people right now is a very different thing. You know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it would be nice for people to live together in harmony. Why just they all live together on, on, on the little land? They can all move in and all live together nicely. But uh, I think that's probably, um, you know, rose-tinted glasses in many respects. You know, we all are very, very polarised in our um, mentality and politi political ideology and our, our positioning in, in the world with politics these days. It's very, very, very little room for for the middle ground and debate and discussion when people are so, you know, extreme in their ideals. And that's that's just the nature of the world we live in in many respects because, you know, extreme extremism on one side, you know, re re creates a reaction and an extremism in the opposite direction as well. So, you know, it's... it's uh, it's it's strange to stand back and see it happening, and it is a, a, a symptom of the world we live in, and it's happening right across the globe in every different country. There's there's things like like that occurring. Yeah, so Peter Dutton, who's our I think he's our foreign minister um, or minister for immigration, I think it is. He's actually come out recently and said that he's going to try to give visas so um i'm not sure what the technical term is for the visas but emergency visas to some of the farmers that have been displaced um, okay. yeah right. which is okay. which is interesting um a lot of people sort of feel okay so there's the rohingya crisis okay so why isn't he doing that for the rohingya 
Yeah, absolutely. I suppose if they if they got white faces, they're all right. Mate. They're, they're they're welcome if they got white faces. They're, they're okay to be to go to Australia, aren't they? But uh, you don't you don't want people with those dark faces coming into into your country. That's 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 not allowed, is it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's the old system in place, isn't it? Really, you know, the, the kind of hierarchies hierarchies of of race, basically, isn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's exactly you know. I mean, that's the one thing about the whole issue issue of asylum seeking, and, and you know, people are kind of seeking asylum in other countries for a reason. You know, they are escaping from you know terror, fear, horror, war, and trying to make a better life for themselves and their families. At the end of the day, they are human beings, and you know. What right have we got to say no to these people? You know, a whole world that we live in has been built on the concept of immigration. You know, all our nations are built on the different generations and different the decorate, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of different people coming on board, and, and that's what creates an exciting and a diverse and and a beautiful place to live in. All these different people, and it seems right now. There's a massive sea change against all that and the fear of, of the other. And, yeah, that's been created in many respects by the, you know, the terror that's been created in the Middle East and the, 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 attack, uh, yeah, the attacks, the you know, terror attacks that, that occur across the world. So, but in, we are being sucked into the fundamentalists' you know, argument at the end of the day. They are winning by us you know, turning into... Uh, it's turning into fundamentalists ourselves in many respects. So uh, yeah, it's it's a it's an, a very interesting debate that can could be go on forever. <laughs> well, what about this one here? This this one I thought has seemed to slip by most people, but China have elevated Xi Jinping to be China's leader for life, or as long as he bloody mm. wants to lead. So, what are your thoughts on that one there and the impact it'll have on the globe? A, a leader for life. Mm. They're turning they're turning into North Korea, aren't they? <laughs> God, that's what that's the comparison that I immediately drew okay now I don't know yeah. how, how close that'll be but I mean there are rapidly um, if you like they've adopted capitalism by any other name haven't they as a country oh absolutely then it they is make the fastest, fastest growing economy uh, within the world isn't it you know it's, it's, it's a rampant um, dragon um, economy that's that's kind of Almost taking over the world in many respects you know, the banking scene you know here in the UK I met, I met a lot of the my football team is owned by a Chinese uh, consortium. You know, for example, yeah, kind of, yeah, it's they're, they're, they're kind of like um, tendrils are growing throughout throughout the world. The, the power that they have uh, and the finance they have is is just astronomical. Um, so yeah, I suppose in many ways they want to have a a leader that's going to be there for a long time to sustain that uh, kind of that growth in many respects. Maybe they they feel that uh, you know if, if they only had a you know, a four-year term or something, that things would change and, you know, it may affect the, the growth rapidly. So maybe they've got to kind of progress, protect their long-term growth kind of plans. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's not going to be – it's never it's never really kind of a, a good thing when you've got someone that's going to be in charge for a, indefinitely, is it? You know, that's, that's going back to, to medieval times, isn't it, in many respects, you know, monarchism and things like that. So, yeah. Uh, Yes, a, a duly elected members of parliament is the way forward, I think. But um, yeah, that's, it's, it's populism gone mad. Well, it's, it's an interesting one, that one there, because of the, the, 
juxtaposition that I just mentioned. And you do think, okay, historically speaking, absolute power corrupts in almost every instance. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. With, yeah. I don't under, I don't have any insight, real insight into his character outside of the very stone-faced public addresses that he provides. But I reckon the next yeah. twenty yeah. years are going to be extraordinarily interesting, especially because we've both got young kids, mate. It's, it's yes. interesting. What yes, sort I mean, of that, China. Is, is it, I mean, I mean, there's. A, I mean, I think is it. Like, I think is it something like sixty percent of the uh, the world's richest people live in China right now and that's just only occurred over the past 20 or 30 years and who knows what how that's going to protract into, into the future yeah it's going to be uh, yeah, di- dictating the global economy in many respects so um, yeah there's going to be a massive um, paradigm power shift uh, towards the east in many respects so that yeah it's going to be it's an interesting it's going to be interesting to see how what happens there over the next you know 10 20 30 years uh, there's definitely going to be a massive global upheaval in economics as a result of it, definitely. Mm. A very interesting time for Australia as well, given that we're on the doorstep of Asia and indeed included as part of Asia for the most part, but our strongest relationships are with Great Britain and with the US. Yes, yes, you are Australasia, aren't you? Yes, but you still retain your Commonwealth links here to the UK. But I suppose as a trading partner uh, with with China, that's that can only be in, in a way in a good thing for you. But um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it is interesting um, interesting times. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think Australia, the, the, from a political perspective, they try to balance the need for a relationship with America for security and the need for a relationship with China for exactly what you just mentioned, trade. And because yeah, the two yeah, countries yeah. are like you know they're the two big bullies on the block, so to speak, from a political perspective. It's like you've all you, you can't please one whilst you're pleasing the other. Well, that's it, yeah, because they're, they're China and and, uh, and and the states are constantly at loggerheads, aren't they, over over mm-hmm. trade issues and military issues and and yeah, yeah, that's that's a very interesting interesting uh, dynamic that's uh, between those two nations. Very um, very strange set of events, really. Yeah. Mm. Now, on a sadder note, the passing of the late great Stephen Hawking. Yeah, and the late great Jim Bowen on the same day as well. Oh, well, okay, there you go. Didn't know yeah, that. You probably don't get uh, bullseye over there, do you? <laughs> it was a darts comedy program, but a quiz game. Yeah, he died, <laughs> he died the same day as well. As, as, okay. So there's as a double double blow for us here in the yeah. UK. Um, yeah, um, amazing, amazing um, personality and, and character who, um, you know, he really did make a difference to... Uh, Contemporary philosophy and the way people think and about their lives. He was a, you know, a glowing example of, of um, what can be achieved with sheer willpower, really. And um, yeah, it's a sad loss, but um, you know, his, his, his legacy lives on, and um, he's, he's provided us all with with a, you know, something to, to live up to in many respects. So yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, sad loss, sad loss, but uh, you know. These, these, are the, these are the times we live in. I read a story last night about him. Apparently he had a wicked sense of humour, which I think is well known, but I, I might get the story wrong, but I'll go ahead and try to recreate this or retell the story anyway. He was working with somebody who was connecting some sort of electronic device up around him, and when they unplugged something and a light turned off, he slumped forward in his chair. And the person who, <laughs> who, the person who unplugged the light <laughs> panicked and thought, what the hell have I done? And then 
went out of the room when, when they came back in. He was sitting back up in his chair and had had a smile or what have you. And, I've so, killed him. I've killed him. Yeah. <laughs> when I heard yeah, that, I thought he gets it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. He's, he, he wrote some fantastic stuff as well. Some some um, you know some life changing. Some you know published a lot of life changing literature, which which is there for everyone to read for forever. So uh, he's, 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 uh, his legacy lives on. So that's, that's always good. Yeah, indeed. Mate, that's actually all the questions I had prepared. It's another stellar discussion. Good. Um, good. Yeah, <laughs> let's see, let's see which, which particular, um, you know, you know what, what do I call them, keyboard warrior infested online publication picks up on this one, especially because it'll be a <laughs> podcast episode. Um, but let's, let's see how they go. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's that's it. You know, I mean, there's there's quite a bit out there at the moment. So we we've 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 prodded the hornet's nest and we've stirred the cesspit already with uh, the re- release of uh, yeah the couple of our songs. So um, we've already kind of like primed them, <laughs> and um, I'm quite looking forward to when the album comes out and from uh, from people to uh, um, the response to specifically the song New Dark Ages. You know, which is completely all about uh, you know attacking the concept of uh, racism and the ideology of hate that it creates so yeah I'm, I'm very interested to see what kind of response the new album is going to get you know but yeah ultimately end of the day on a purely selfish matter basis we we, we don't do it for anyone else apart from ourselves it's, it's we're doing this for the pure, pure, pure joy of doing it ourselves and it's all just a little bit of a bonus that other people actually understand what we're trying to do and enjoy it as well. That's great. You know, that's great. It's, it's kind of very life affirming to be able to do that. You know, and, and we've, we've got a long term plan as well. This is oh, yeah, we've got the next yes, album. We've got the yeah. next album planned. And then, you know, ultimately, I'd very much like to to go back to the original concept of, of doing um, an album's worth of, of covers of songs that inspired us to want to be in bands in the first place, you know, Discharge, you know, um, Antisect, Amoebic, Sacrilege, those kind of UK grind crust classics. And that was the reason we started doing the band in the first place. And we haven't lost sight of that. So beyond the trilogy that we have in place, which explores the trajectory and the, and the experience of grief and mourning over a three album epic classic we've got further life beyond that as well and you know we're just having a great time going out there every other weekend playing gigs meeting up with our old mates and seeing getting back in touch with people we have we've kind of lost touch with and and, and reigniting old friendships and Wonderful. just having, yeah. enjoying ourselves yeah and actually question for you will you be or are there plans to come down to australia um not really, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, to, 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 be, to, to be totally honest, logistically, uh, financially, uh, it's something that's probably not going to happen because you know it's so expensive to go. We were offered some shows there, but um, you know, financially, it's, it, it, we'd be probably out of pocket to do it. And um, we got to that point in our lives where we're doing this for you know, we're not just doing this for the sheer joy of experience of doing it. We're, <laughs> we're doing it as well because. Yeah, we, we want to do the things that we want to do, really. And, you know, we've got kids. You know, I've, got, I've got two young kids. I've got, I've got, we all got jobs. I've got a mother that's not very well. So, so you know, there's other things in our lives that are going on which, which constrain our ability to go away for long periods of time. And to come down to Australia, it would probably take two weeks out of our schedule, you know, of our life schedule. And uh, I can't at this point see that happening, to be perfectly honest. So, so it's highly unlikely, but you never know. Never say never. If the right offer came along and, and you know, we were offered, you know, 
three or four shows and and the timing was right and then financially it worked out yeah we'd, we'd definitely be up for doing it but yeah the offers we had so far haven't really panned out or worked on that financial or, or time scale basis so uh, it's a shame because you know I, i've said it before that australia is the one thing we came in 1993 with bolt thrower we were about to come again in 2015 when it all you know fell apart due to marcin passing away so it is that still for me feels that there's something there some unfinished business i'd like to to come back to australia and do some shows just to you know fill the circle in many respects and, and say yeah well that you know that we've done it you know it's, it's, it's been done so uh, so yeah if the opportunity's there and i know we've got a really strong fan base in australia there's i get a lot of emails and we get a lot of facebook traffic and twitter traffic and a lot of shirt orders um yeah i've seen a few Australians. yeah yeah absolutely and we've been very keen to get down there so you know it's all depending on getting the right offer at the right time really mm. well you do see a lot of bolt throw to throw a t-shirts at shows still yes good good Hope, hopefully not bootlegs <laughs> yeah oh yeah what about that hey i mean you go on ebay these days and especially on, are you on instagram at all God no. Okay. <laughs> God it, no, that would annoy that would annoy the hell out of me. Well, <laughs> yeah. is it Instagram or Facebook? One of the two. I, I reckon about half of the ads that I see for banned merchandise are bootlegs. And absolutely, this, yeah, this yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I still occasionally people email me stuff saying, "Have you seen this?" You know, and I, I will contact them and send them a, you know, a savage copyright infringement cease and desist cease order uh, on behalf of myself, the band, and and Earache Records or whatever. And sometimes they comply. Sometimes they take it down. But you can sure as hell guess that in a few weeks' time they'll, they'll probably put it back up again. So it's, it's almost a losing battle. And in many respects, that's one thing we've learned with Memorial. You know, that, that's the one thing that didn't work was by... It was good in many respects. With Bolt we kept our merchandise exclusive. You could only get that at gigs. And it worked really well because we sold a lot of shirts at gigs, which was fantastic. It funded us to keep going, and which was great. But the, the negative aspect of that was that because you couldn't get shirts anywhere else apart from gigs, people that came to gigs bought half a dozen shirts, sold them on eBay for massively inflated prices, and they made the profits. Or alternatively... We were not playing a specific territory, so you couldn't get the shirts full stop. So we just encouraged bootleggers to fill that gap in the market and that and, and fulfil the demand that was out there. So with Memorial, we very much aware I was that that element wasn't going to happen. I wanted to make our merchandise freely available. So that was one of the first things I did was set up a um, a big cartel site to make the shirts affordable, you know, a relatively good price, and make them available to everyone across the world so that whole bootleg thing would never hopefully happen again for us so yeah you do live and learn from your experiences in life and i think that's what you got to do you know you've got to you got to uh, move forward yeah absolutely that's what we do in memoriam you know and i'm enjoying it very much well long may you reign sir you are a gentleman and a scholar and the chat has been even better the second time around and i really hope we can catch up again when you release a new album, if not before. Absolutely. We will probably be speaking to you around about this time next year then, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it our annual catch-up. 
Absolutely, yes. Well, yeah, well, you never know. He may even manage, finally manage to get to Australia as well at some point in the future. So that'd be, that'd be nice to, cross, yeah. to meet you with you face to face. That'd be great. Yeah, no worries, mate. Likewise. <laughs> so thanks very much. Have a great evening. And Good really man, yeah. So always, always a pleasure speaking to you. And uh, as I say, I look forward to speaking to you again, to you again at some point next year. And uh... You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was my discussion with Carl Willits, the bloke who used to be in Bolt Thrower as the front man and he's currently the front man for Memoriam. Really appreciate you listening.